Please close your eyes, turn around, and count to nine. When you open them, I will be gone. The Spartans said they were tougher. The Spartans said they would flinch. And they did. And welcome to another episode of the SD Farrell Show as we are back from back. hiatus. Back. back. Let's go. That is right, Let's go. Matt. Back. After about two months of recharging and probably doing nothing productive. Uh, I've spent the last two months sewing every single hoodie and t-shirt and hat that I could get my hands on. So, yeah, uh, it, it was productive over here, Justin. I don't know wow. what you've been doing, but, uh, yeah, I've been trying to deliver NIL collective greatness to uh, East Lansing here. So, but again, wow. we, we all have different hobbies. Uh, wow. Yeah. This guy putting the program on his back. Um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long eight weeks of of discourse, of narratives, of agendas, sure. of of takes, ah. of speculation, mm. and uh, we are here to talk about some of those aforementioned um, topics that have plagued the off season, the longest off season of pretty much any sport that I follow. And, well, Matt, there's a lot to talk about. And in this episode, that's going to be basically restricted to just discussing Michigan State's offense. We will also be talking about the defense um, in another episode. And obviously, with the offense, there are some very, very obvious um, competitions. There are some uh, polarizing, I guess, uh, discussions that are related to the quarterback battle and uh, debating whether or not the people up here are nice um, or at least as nice as they may be somewhere in the South. And uh, kind of just what the, the battle is shaping up as uh, and kind of what the other positions are looking like, running back, receiver, tight end, offensive line. We're going to dive all the way into that. Matt, last year the offense was not good. I didn't have a good time last year at all. I'm, respectfully, look, these kids try their hardest. Student athletes, yeah. they represent Michigan State so well. I've had more fun other falls than last one. Mm. Uh, no offense. Again, very hardworking kids. Love every single Spartan as if they're my own child. But I, I could do more than five wins this year. I, that's just yes. me. I, that's yes. just me. Not to be picky. Not to be picky. But yeah. Personally, for me, uh, the offense was more disappointing than the defense. Obviously, the defense was statistically much worse. But yeah. the relative to the health and talent that was available throughout the 12 games is why I arrive at that answer. Now, a good chunk of that blame uh, falls on the quarterback play. Um, I think I, I would put more blame on the quarterback than I would on maybe play calling, even though play calling did leave a lot to be desired, especially some of the second and tens, uh, maybe even some of the first and tens yeah. that led to third and longs. Um, and then sometimes when they did get a third and short, they couldn't get the three yards that you would expect um, a team of this caliber to get. Um, so there's more than enough blame to go around this year. That blame cannot be placed on last year's quarterback, Peyton Thorne. It is time for one of the other two quarterbacks and Jay Johnson to 
prove that it wasn't all just um, on play calling last year and uh, see if it was indeed quarterback play. And if not, well, then uh, some of us may owe the dearly departed Peyton Thorne an apology. But uh, Matt, what do you make of the significance of Thorne's departure now that we've had a few months to kind of let it marinate? It opens up the door for maybe Michigan State to find an identity this year. Uh, look, we are going into the fourth year under Mel Tucker. And what's the one? Well, okay, there's maybe a few knocks from a lot of pundits out there. But specifically the Michigan State uh, folks. What's one knock? Is that, well, there's really not an identity of this team. What are you going to get when you face Michigan State? It's been kind of different all three years. So as you're breaking in a new quarterback, you know, maybe not going to be as reliant on the passing game. You may see those pass-to-run ratio splits go more towards the run because maybe it's not just also, hey, just the quarterback position. Look at the running back, too. There were some issues last year. Let's not get it twisted. Michigan State was amongst the worst in the Big Ten, if not the country, in many short yardage running metrics. They shore up those problems by getting Nathan Carter, Jaron Mangum, a good mm. stable offensive line depth, Justin, for the first time in a long time here. So it could be a, a – just a nice little blend between, hey, breaking a new quarterback. All right, Peyton Thorne's gone. We're, we're not going to rely on a third-year starter here. But also, okay, maybe this is more of the, and I know the old heads are going to like this, the pound-green-pound identity that Michigan State once had in the days of your Justin. So that's what I make with the whole quarterback departure, is that, well, maybe this is a good time to maybe kind of make ourselves that ground-and-pound team that uh, Michigan State was many, many moons ago, but it could, could shape up to be an ideal year for it. That's that's how I yeah. see it. Yeah, that's, that's a great summation of the opportunity in front here. Um, also, I think um, if there's people that were holding out hope that Peyton Thorne would play as he did in 2021, again, in 2023, um, I'm here to tell you that I personally did not believe that was going to happen. Um, unless Nathan Carter was pretty much as good as K-9. I think he's going to be much better than Jay, uh, Jalen Berger, but I don't think he's going to be on a Doak Walker finalist list. Um, and I think in order for Peyton Thorne to play like he did in 2021, that's kind of the running game that he would have needed. Because if you were able to see the all-22 footage or the press box view of how Peyton Thorne played, even some of the throws that were completed, some of the Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed jump balls, it was those guys having three, four steps on the corner as the mm -hmm. ball was being released, then ending in a jump ball catch because the ball was underthrown. Or he would have hit Jaden Reed um, with a nice throw while 12 yards to the right of that, Trey Mosley was wide open for an even easier um, completion. So it was... At times when he looked good, it was still not the best play that could have been made. And other times when he looked bad, it was a sort of a byproduct of not having one-on-one -on -one looks all over the field because the defenses were no longer stuffing the box with seven or eight because K-9 was no longer there. Yep. I say all of this to say that I don't believe that Peyton Thorne was ever going to be the quarterback he was in 2021 um, because he was not going to have K-9 again. Now we'll see this fall um, down south if, if that is – accurate or not but um that is that is what i'm confident in, in asserting as my opinion there as a result of of peyton thorne kind of not being what he was going to be in 2021 i did not view his departure to be significant at all i said back on the episode right after he left that this is an opportunity for michigan state to now set up their next three to four years of quarterback play 
in exchange for maybe at most losing one win above replacement at most. Um, There's not, it's not out of this world that whoever wins the job this year may play better than Peyton Thorne did last year. Um, Maybe it's sort of wishful thinking to say it'll be a massive improvement, but I don't think it's out of this world to say that maybe a QB rating of eight or nine points higher than what Thorne had last year is, is off the charts unrealistic. So with all of that said, I do think that I um, am ready to confidently say who's going to start week one. Okay. Um, I am not confidently willing to say that this guy is indefinitely going to be the starter or he is the starter for the season. But I am, uh, as I wrote earlier this week uh, in my preseason depth chart preview, that Noah Kim looks like he is going to be the starter for the Central Michigan game. Um, nothing formal has been announced or decided, but I'll explain my rationale as to why I have arrived at that opinion. And, but first, Matt, I want to ask you what you think about possibly Noah Kim over Kate Hauser. I, I can't be too shocked. Right. And I'm not displeased by any stretch of the imagination. I, I'm kind of looking at it both the same way the coaching staff looked at it when Peyton Thorne exited the door at the 11th hour of the transfer portal window being open there wasn't a lot of scrambling going around, you know, the football program. There wasn't a lot of panic, of course. Was there surprise? Sure. Yeah, maybe. You could very well see why you'd be a little surprised at a two-year starter splitting town to go down to Auburn. But I, I don't really see any fire alarms being pulled around because I think they didn't think that there was that big of a gap between Peyton Thorne and who was behind him, whether it be Caden Hauser or Noah Kim. Now, we did leave those spring practices with Noah Kim having the sizable lead over Caden Hauser. At least that's how I perceived it. And some people in the know I perceived it as well. But yes, the gap has closed a little bit, but just not enough to where, you know, Noah Kim, the senior guy, not, you know, senior by class. I just mean the older quarterback, mm-hmm. what I mean by that, is going to get the nod here to start against Central. But yes, it, it's going to be fascinating how they're going to do this. Does Noah Kim just get the start until he falters against Central? Is it going to be every other series? Is it going to be, hey, you get the first half, Kaden gets the second half. And if we go to overtime, well, Sam Levitt is going to be our quarterback. I, who knows how they're going to do it. That's going to be a fascinating, fascinating story to follow here the first yeah. two weeks. But, yeah, I like, look, when when Caden Hauser is on your projected depth chart at 24-7 sports, I, I'm not flipping over tables. I'm like, well, yeah, we've seen this kid in a very small sample size, but I, he seems fearless. He's making good throws. He's got good established rapport with a lot of these receivers that well, didn't start last year, and neither did Noah Kim. So they got right. a lot of good uh, chemistry going on between those t- uh, two groups. I, I'm I'm cool with it, man. I'm chilling. I'm, I'm right. kind of just like the football staff, just watching Peyton Thorne leave. I'm just, hey, let's just figure it out, see how it works out. I mean, yeah, you do get Central Richmond to start off. It's not like you have Washington Week One. That I might feel a little different about. Right, it. I might feel a little more anxiety riddled than I already am. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, all good points, Matt. Um, this is how I arrived at the assertion that Noah Kim will be starting Week mm-hmm. One against Central. Two components. Okay. One, I tweeted about a week ago um, when I was kind of fielding questions on Twitter that I believe that if two guys are close, Michigan State should start the quarterback that has the higher ceiling. Okay. Um, just because they're not going to win the Big Ten title this year, most likely. And as a result, one guy that has the higher ceiling, you'd rather have him play through his mistakes, get better. Your program would be better off down the road. Um, now what I have learned since tweeting that 
is while that might be my opinion, that opinion is not shared uh, by the coaches at Michigan State. And as a result, basically what I've gathered is that they are making it their mission to make a bowl game this year, no matter what. So if they believe that one of those two quarterbacks, even if he does not have the higher ceiling, gives them even a 1% better shot at making a bowl game, that is who they will go with. Number two, I learned that even though Kayton Hauser won uh, both of these scrimmages that occurred this fall, the scrimmages are not as big of a sample size as all of the practices that occur basically every single day. Mm-hmm. And while Kayton Hauser may be winning those scrimmages, um, I heard earlier in the spring. Now, this I have not heard to be true in the fall, but I'm assuming it to be true. I heard back in the spring that Noah Kim always practiced better than he did in scrimmages. So if I extrapolate that sentiment to the fall, and I'm being told that practices are going to have higher weight than scrimmages, along with the fact that I know that they do not believe what I said about the higher ceiling being the tiebreaker, I have come to the conclusion that I can say fairly confidently that Noah Kim will be taking the first snaps. How do you now feel about that thought process, how they arrived at that potential decision, Matt? I understand the thought process. I just, I'm not seeing it as clearly as, you know, the guys that are actually in the football building because between the two guys, let, let's say player A can get you to a bowl game, but player B has a higher ceiling. I, I still think that player B can get you to a bowl. Look, getting to a bowl game is not impossible, guys. It's, <laughs> it's, it's six wins. Five, if you had a really good APR score the year before, but I'm not even going to let myself think about that until like week 11 or week 12. <laughs> yeah, a, a, a decent quarterback that does eventually have a higher ceiling, you could start building that ceiling just with a six-win season, you know, get yourself to the quick lane bowl in Detroit. I, that's that's fascinating that that is the thesis of this season, is just to make a bowl game by any means necessary. I think you can do that by molding in a guy with a higher ceiling. I, so that's... Uh, puzzling i'll use the p word uh, p- puzzling is is how we do that but again i look I, let's let, let's not kid ourselves like we know who we're talking about kate and hauser probably the guy with the higher ceiling all right, right. no kim no slouch i mean i i think he right. can deliver a good season for michigan state i don't think it's like a, oh my god i can't believe they're starting noah kim his ceiling might as well just be as high as a deck of cards on the floor like no, i i think he's got a a, a decent ceiling but Right. Wow, that's that's an interesting way to go about that, though. Huh? I agree. I'll talk I, with I, Mel after this. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll talk with Mel and Jay after this and, and see. Yeah. Hmm. I I don't have much to add about anything you said there. Um, I think uh, we can now just dive into what what both of these quarterbacks would provide, um, the pros and cons for each of them. Starting with Noah Kim, uh, the pro side. I, I think we saw a good amount of that last year in the drives that he was in. Let a touchdown drive almost every time he was in. Yeah. Um, I do think people are putting too much weight in that, which I'll get to on the con side, but continuing with the pros, he simply is a gamer. You throw him in chaos and he thrives. You throw him in there with little prep, little organization. He thrives. He has a live arm. He um, has good ball placement from what we've seen in games. And um, yeah, he's, he's athletic as well. Now him running at like 192 does scare me in the big 10, yep. but but he is athletic. He, he is mobile. You can't discount that just because he might have a slight frame. And um, he has juice. Like, I, I don't know exactly how to define that, but he just has juice. Right. 
on the con side, speaking of leading a touchdown drive almost every time he was in, he was playing against base shell defenses, pretty much all of those touchdown drives against either A, backups, or B, starters that didn't have a lot of stake, uh, or the game didn't have high stakes. Now, that does not mean that it doesn't have any significance because there's lots of quarterbacks that come in in garbage time that do not play that well. And the ball placement, especially on that throw to, I believe, Montori Foster, that cannot be discounted even if you are playing against nobody. You could be playing 11 on 0. That means something. However, I just want people to understand that if he's the starter, he's not going to go out there and leave touchdown drives 68, 75% of the time. That's just not realistic. Second of all, I hear a lot about him being 41 and two as a starter in high school. And um, that is wildly impressive. That gives Trace McSorley vibes. Another guy, undersized, mobile, gamer, Ashburn, Virginia. He, he fits the Noah Kim comparison to a T. Love it. I do want to caution, though, that there are a lot of quarterbacks out there that could have played in Virginia and have gone maybe not 41 and two, but let's say within one or two games behind that. So it's all relative. Those are the only two things I wanted to say is the high school record doesn't mean as much to me as people are saying and do not have crazy high expectations just because of the touchdown drive rate he led last year. All that aside, you have to be pretty good in order to make your um, head coach possibly overlook the guy that he brought in as their heralded recruit in order to start you. I think I, I'm still sticking with that, with what I said about the quarterback this year will play slightly better than quarterback play last year. Um, I, I said that would be true no, no matter who won, in my opinion. I'm still sticking with that if it is Noah Kim. And uh, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he does. I don't necessarily agree with the rationale, kind of as you were saying as well. But I think uh, excitement and uh, fresh air are kind of the two, two terms I would use to, to apply to this case. And you like a quarterback with like a sleeve of tattoos as well. Like mm, let's not discount hurt. that. We're talking intangibles here, but no, like it, it is the thing that you said about juice, right? Like it just sounds so ridiculous. It's not on a box score. You can't really quantify it, but he truly did look fearless when he did get in these games. And like, look, it, it's not lost with me who this was against. It was against the Akron zips. And then I think it was what Ohio yeah. State backups or something like that, but still, right. Did not have the deer caught in the headlights look or did not let the moment get too mm-hmm. big for him. And I know that sounds ridiculous. Like, who lets a moment against Akron get too big for them? Backup quarterbacks, they don't get mm-hmm. a lot of playing time. All right, so when they're in there, they try to do too much sometimes. He played it to a T. He was cool, calm, collected. So, I know, small sample size against maybe not the most stingy defenses or the most talented guys on the field, but I looked every bit of, you know, why he mm-hmm. did go. 41-2. and two in high school i I just he does offer a lot i mean yes Mm -hmm. slender frame but he does have those live legs and i know Mm -hmm. that there's a very thin line in college or just quarterbacking in general between scampering too early you know getting happy feet throwing off center and then actually like using your legs to extend plays making throws on the run so like can he be on the right side of that line Mm -hmm. again in, in the two seconds we saw him last year it looked like he right. could, but it's right. again, easier said than done. It will be a good test, though, week one against Central, no matter who wins it. Right. And I'm not calling Central Michigan, you know, the old 2013 MSU defense, the no-fly zone, but they do return 10 starters from last year. Mm-hmm. It'll be a moderate test to see 
okay, just how far along are these guys? You know, yeah. Their feet. Well, let's let's start to actually make judgments that aren't just on a spring practice on Big Ten Network in the spring or against Akron's second string in the fourth quarter. Like, it'll yeah. Be actually, see them against a the defense with a pulse and some talent. Right. Yeah, and and speaking of Central returning some talent, their cornerback Dante Kent as as good as they come. I I, I talked yeah. to him a little bit this off season. Um, he had some he had some big time programs coming after him to to, to enter the portal. I'm sure. And um yeah. and uh, he's he's sticking pat with with Central and Michigan State. We'll see him in week one. Um, shifting gears to Kate Hauser, the pros and cons of what we'll see. I I assume he we will see him in the Central Michigan and Richmond games. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the guy that is going to have higher highs uh, than possibly Noah Kim, but also probably lower lows. So one play and I don't know, say the third quarter of the central Michigan game, you might see him um, throw a 42 yard opposite hash, um, like perfect bread basket back shoulder throw. And then three drives later might bounce the slant because uh, he didn't have the full reps that he needed at St. John Bosco because Pierce Clarkson's dad was the sure. Steve Clarkson from the QB retreat and whatnot. At the end of the day, though, whether it's politics or not, it hurt his live reps. Now, with that, though, as you had said earlier, I would like to see him place through some of those live reps and uh, play through those mistakes in a game. But that's uh, that's a different discussion. But, yeah, that's kind of how I would summarize it. He would probably make some absolutely mesmerizing throws that show, like, next-level arm while also kind of having a good amount of, of freshman or redshirt freshman mistakes. That's what it seems like Michigan State is not ready to gamble on. And um, that's kind of how I would summarize his game. But, yeah, another guy, just mobile. Um, his frame is 6'4". I think 220 is what he's listed on the roster. I was told he's up to 228. Um, yeah. But, yeah, prototypical arm, prototypical size. Um, maybe the more live scrimmage and, and, I guess, team drills and stuff that he gets to take, the pictures changing on him from the defense, the more blitzes he takes – maybe the processing and stuff like that, the reps that he gets in practice could help bridge the gap throughout the season. I don't know uh, how likely that is. I think live reps would be, would be more beneficial, but yeah, it seems like that's kind of where that stands. Um, I guess any thoughts from you, Matt, on, on maybe what Caton brings to the table or just anything regarding the quarterback topic before we move on to, to other positions. hundred percent. We all know about his arm, you know, the strength he showed up really well at the elite 11, good accuracy, but it, it's the legs too, that really kind of, Hmm. This is maybe why there's the higher ceiling here because he's got the tree trunk legs and you see it all the time in football for a very long time. A mobile quarterback can change some things and he runs with power. He can run with some speed, some quickness and just durability as well. It sounds foolish to just, you know, oh, talk about, hey, height, weight, yada, yada. But guys, it actually does matter sometimes in Mm -hmm. football when you are just getting leveled. Uh, however many times a game hopefully it's not a lot this year but yeah. let's get ourselves big 10 can be physical I, I i don't hate the running option that kate hauser brings to the table here especially you know, hey you look at the nfl you see the josh allen's of the world or hey over in your neck of the woods justin finn the jalen hurts of the world like mm-hmm. having those quarterbacks those big body quarterbacks that can run and be durable it, it can add another dimension to your offense and so if if we have if, if we have that fine i'm I'm chilling i'm having a good time with that yeah um yeah that pretty much wraps up the the quarterback discussion i think um either way we'll probably see more of a running threat from the quarterbacks 
Um, I think the fact that the backup being able to come in and not being a huge drop-off would maybe free MSU more to, to opening up their quarterbacks to the possible injury risk of that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe not, but that's kind of we'll the see. way that I would see it. That's, that's the way that I would kind of run it. But when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of running, hey Matt, hey, the running backs. Yes, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, man, uh, it's gonna be a little different than last year. I think. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, the I, running backs are back. Uh, we're we're handing the ball off to guys that are built like Hummers. Uh, mm. and, and uh, guys, the new are, thousand horsepower Hummer EVs. That is a very nice vehicle, by the way. That's yes. right. As a, as a company man, I had to had to throw oh, that in. One time. One time for GM. Uh, great craftsmanship oh, wow. there. Um, that's Yeah, that's the nicest way I could put it. Is, it this this year, men will be running the ball. Mm, is that, is mm, that not, mm. like, yeah, I, I don't feel good mm. saying it, but like, let's have an honest dialogue here. <laughs> the, the, the third and ones, the third and twos we were running last year, not being handed off to the correct personnel that you'd want in a Big Ten football game. Nope. Is that mean or is that just being honest if we're just going back to last year and taking a look at, well, what happened? And it's not just the eye test, but also the numbers as well, man. It was yeah. dreadful. There, there, there is definitely an art form to running the ball in close yardage situations. Yeah. You see very good running backs across college football that, um, for example, look at Michigan. Both Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards are very good running backs. I think both will do well in the NFL. Both are, are very hard to stop in college. But the splits of red zone effectiveness between Corum and Edwards are are pretty jarring. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, Blake Corum was far more effective at scoring from like inside the two or the three than Donovan Edwards was. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I see with how big of an asset Jaron Mangum could be for Michigan State this year. He um, had double-digit touchdowns at South Florida last year. He um, was recruited by Mel Tucker back at Colorado. And even back there, while Jerick Broussard and some other guys were getting kind of the open field touches, he was the power back in short yardage situations back then. I think that Michigan State's third and two, third and one goal line within the five formations, um, he will be a massive, massive addition in that regard. Even if he only has about five touches a game, I think the difference with how effective those five touches will be than last year when they were trying to give the ball to Jalen Berger or Jerick Broussard in those situations, it is massive. Now, with that said, the real exciting addition this offseason, it is the Carter Five, Nathan Carter. God, I love that nickname. That's a great nickname. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Man, I will, I will cede the floor to you. Tell us about why we should be so excited about Nathan Carter. Well, Justin, a uh, little-known stat here uh, has never been said on a Michigan State show before. Four games for good old Nathan Carter last year, a strong four games, quite literally a strong four games, because he led the nation in yards after contact mm. in those four contests. Also, if you have at least one functioning eyeball, you have seen a picture of him on Twitter or Instagram or wherever Michigan State puts out their fine media, and th- 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 this man 
looks like he could star in the Incredible Hulk uh, with no CGI needed. He could break me in half, probably even just by looking at me. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how strong this guy is. Because here's the thing, too. We got bigger running backs. Jaron Mangum, Nathan Carter. You know, we got some beef. But it's not just like, hey, we're big. We're going to hand the ball off to them. Because how, however many years ago it was, I think it was the 2019 season. I might be off by one year. But we, we give the ball to Connor Hayward on short yardage. Ladarius Jefferson in short yardage. Two big back running backs. Yeah. And they could not get it done. Drove me up a wall. Probably drove you listening up a wall. It's like, these guys are massive. How are they not getting through the chains on fourth and one? Just like you said, Justin, there's an art form to it. Jaron Mangum, just like you said at USF, made it happen. Nathan Carter, again, short stint last year. But that's a man that could also run a football as well on short yard situations. Not just short yards for Nathan Carter. He could just run the ball, whatever you hand it to him, whatever down it is. So that's going to be a delightful, delightful sight this year. And I'm also all in on Jalen Berger as well. Look, I think he had a really good end to his season last year, mm-hmm. this last month, five yards per carry really came along. Now, was that because that the offensive line was starting to get some cohesion after their really slow start, not just in the season, but the off season as well, maybe, but I, I think we got a great three headed horse here, man, of Jalen Berger, Nathan Carter, Jaron Mangum, maybe even Jalen Barber, whose name I keep hearing, uh, mm in camp as well we'll we'll see we'll see if the body can get up there huh? but that's that's another fascinating wrinkle too this yes not a cali yeah yeah no 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 doubt everything you said there is all facts this is going to be a three-headed running back room i did not expect nathan carter to have a kenneth walker type of a workload right i think um his yards per carry will be very impressive but i don't think his volume will necessarily need to be off the charts especially in the early parts of the season I think um, you're going to see Sharon Mangum poach several goal line touchdowns from him. You're going to see some nice um, runs sort of in, in the middle of games from Jalen Berger as well, while spelling Nathan Carter in some of the traditional formations. And then pretty much everything else besides that is going to be Nathan Carter. Um, so it, that's going to be great to see the balance there. Um, let's talk about the O-line. Um, we'll, we'll circle yeah. back to receiver and mm-hmm. tight end after this, but I, I really liked what you said about the cohesion of, of the offensive line. Once um, Jarrett Horst, who was going to depart after last season anyway, um, kind of, uh, I think, stopped playing a few games before the season ended, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, that allowed Brandon Baldwin to enter the fold and play pretty well. Yeah, um, I don't think he lit the world on fire. But in terms of the expectations that I at least had, and I think a lot of people had, that maybe even Michigan State had, is Mm. that for a kid that just started playing football as a senior in high school, then had his first JUCO season canceled because of COVID, then redshirted his first year on campus at Michigan State. So he he played one live season of football in the three prior seasons before he played uh, in 2022. And that was in high school. And that was his only season of playing football. That guy came in there and looked part of the level of competition he was playing in he looked the part of the rest of the unit to me he is at least a year ahead of his developmental timeline if not more i thought maybe as a redshirt junior is when finally coach cap would have been able to develop him into being a guy in the playing group now what i'm hearing is that not only is he still firmly in the playing group as you would have assumed since he started at the end of last year but he might possibly win out at the left tackle job ahead of Keyshawn Blackside. 
And that is not because Keyshawn Blackstock is underwhelming. And um, we'll see what happens if that is the case. I'm sure I, I would expect a rotationary basis across the whole line, pretty much except yeah. that left guard and center. Um, but if that were to happen, I think Blackstock could either play right tackle, he could play right guard. But most likely what, what I'm going to run through that I see kind of being the first team and second team there taking rotations aside is left tackle, you're looking at possibly Baldwin or Blackstop. You're looking at left guard of J.D. Duplain, looking at center of Nick Samak, right guard of Gino Vandermark, right tackle of um, Spencer Brown. Now, right behind Spencer Brown, just like that battle between Baldwin and Blackstock, is Ethan Boyd finally showing the toughness and the nasty streak that he needed. He always had the size. He always had the, he always had the technique, but he did not have that tenaciousness. He has turned that into a very legitimate competition. Um, you have a left tackle and right tackle competition now where there is not going to be much of a drop-off if they have to go back to those guys. I was not expecting that a few months ago. I was expecting either Ashton Lepo or Ethan Boyd to be ready to do that next year. Okay. And then Stanton Rammel or Brandon Baldwin to be able to do that at left tackle next year. Now you have about four tackles that you can play this year without much drop-off. That inside, you have Kevin Wigginton, who's doing really well. You have um, Dallas Fincher, who's been there a while. And Chris Big Dooley Phillips is right up there. Yep. You are looking at about 10 guys, Matt, that are all neck and neck, other than maybe whoever's pushing Duplain and same act. So you're looking at about eight guys that are right there, 10 guys that you can play. What are your thoughts on all of that, Matt? Uh, a tear could come to my eye right now. Like, because I, oh, who was it? I think it was Jay Johnson that said as much that there was a steep drop off between the ones and the twos last year. Mm -hmm. From all the fire and the smoke that we've been hearing this offseason, and also just the names as well, you can kind of just put two and two together here. Hey, Coach Kapilovic is known as one of the top offensive line coaches in the nation for a reason. And all those guys that you just named, whether they're the young guys like Gino Vandermark, Kevin Wigginton, Dallas Fincher, Christian Phillips, Ethan Boyd, Brandon Bald, like, these are all guys that are now in their second or third year under his coaching. So we're going to really find out how good of a coach coach cap is this mm -hmm. year. And all the makings of a great offensive line are right there. So I think it will be a nice little boost forward for the running game, just from running backs, but also the offensive line as well. I cannot be more excited to watch Gino Vandermark play though this year. Mm. I, big year for him coming up um mm -hmm. strong finish to the season for him last year also just like brandon baldwin a guy that really took advantage of some starting opportunities late in the season i was very delighted mm -hmm. with uh, how well brandon baldwin played especially just in those awkward circumstances of kind of hey well you're kind of the starter now go get him i guess unless jared horse comes back i don't know who's to say so yeah i mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really trying to tamper expectations for a position group that has been kind of rocky in the last few seasons and by few i mean maybe a little more than a few at this point but I, I i all the makings are there from the coaching to the depth to the you know former good recruits to the experience as well with nick samick and jd duplain as well like mm -hmm. i and don't look now matt do not look yeah. now but that's what it's look now though i am gonna look now though just yeah. like i i am setting myself up to get hurt right. i know what i'm doing here like this so i'm gonna do it anyway because I that, hate these guys, I believe. Yeah, I believe. That, that 2021 class, remember the one where it was hard to evaluate everyone and, oh, yeah. and most of the guys, yeah. even at MSU, they, they they flamed out? Sure. Guess what, Matt? Huh. Gino Vandermark, Ethan Boyd, I Kevin Wigginton, Brandon I know. Baldwin. I know. They have not. They have not, they have not done the aforementioned flaming out. 
it's crazy. Like you could just recruit, yeah, just solely recruit offensive linemen only off Zoom. If this actually pans <laughs> out, like that's that's all I want to see the rest of time here. Yeah. I, I just, I do have my hopes up, and I'm just obviously, as you can tell, a, a little scared to have my hopes up because it, I, it, Justin, I, it, you you were six years old the last time <laughs> we had a, a solid offensive line you could feel like really good about going into a season. I, but yeah, I, this could be another year. I was, I, I don't think I had even applied to Michigan state by the time, uh, or back when, uh, Jack Allen was running in for the seven yard touchdown (laughs) run against Penn state. I think I I applied the year after that. So, um, definitely there. Um, one thing that I will say, uh, since we can't be too positive because that's just lunacy. Yeah, please. Um, while we are very impressed with the depth at hand and how they have eight guys that are all basically neck and neck and 10 guys that they can play. That doesn't necessarily mean that the top level talent is going to be much better than last year. It's just, they can sustain injuries better and the future yeah. is looking brighter. So yeah. they might not come out there and just, just pave the lanes for Nathan Carter left and right and, and open up running holes probably are not going to be a top four or five offensive line in the big 10, but what they should be is deep and bright for the future. And um, no excuse to not at least be middle of the pack, which if you're middle of the pack and you have an above the middle of a pack running game or running back, you should be a pretty average to above average offense, which, hey, the Michigan State's not expected to win the Big Ten. They're expected to go six and six, maybe seven and five if you're lofty expectations. Yeah. What you should be getting from the offensive line should help you meet those goals. That's kind of where, where we're at as a big picture. At least that's where I'm at. No, it's all what Jay Johnson said. Basically, hey, our starters and our second string, the, the talent fell off a cliff. That's not what mm-hmm. he said. Th- those are my words. He said it in a very gentleman-like way, but we could read between the lines there that it was steep last year and this mm-hmm. year. It's actually looking like it can be that close if the lineman goes down or just to keep the guys fresh. I mean, just keep the trenches fresh during a game, for God's sakes, for once. You know, have right. five guys that you can almost platoon with the starters. It's, 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 nice. it's just nice to have numbers. Yeah, no doubt. Speaking of numbers, Matt, lots and lots and lots and lots of numbers exist at the wide receiver room. Me, me Not... or you might be starting this year. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know what my favorite part of this offseason is? And by favorite part, I mean it makes me want to bash my head through a wall. It's like I'm just trying to get any crumb of just knowledge as to who is going to be a starting wide receiver. And anytime Jay Johnson talks, Ted Gilmore, Mel Tucker himself talks, they, they name all nine receivers. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, Trey did really good at the scrimmage. So did Montori. So did Christian. So did Alante. So did Jared. It's like, oh my, like you, you guys can't give us anything this offseason, can you? Yeah. Anything. Yeah. We know Trey yeah. starting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, that you can take to the bank. Yeah, I know. That's it, though. Yeah. That's it. But yeah. yeah. But but that 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 is a very good summary of where things stand. Is so many guys are playing well or or, or playing well enough to have okay. that wide receiver two or three spot. But it's who is actually going to seize it during the season? Who's actually going to play right. well? Now, the reason I'm not too concerned about the receiver room as a whole is the odds are when you have so many feasible options, two of those guys, just by the numbers game, will have to pan out this year. Like, you cannot have uh, Montori Foster, Alante Brown, Tyrell Henry, Jerron Glover, Christian Fitzpatrick, uh, Antonio Gates Jr., um, I'm sure I'm missing one or two guys. You cannot have six or seven guys, and out of those six or seven, not have one or two of those guys play at a reliable level. And I don't know who those are. So part of this is projection and wishful thinking. 
But again, like, I'm very confident that Trey Mosley is going to be better than he was last year. Volume alone will do that. I think that Alante Brown, I can pencil him in as having the second most touches at receiver. Um, okay. And then after that, I give me either Tyrell Henry or Montori Foster as being good enough to consistently play at a Big Ten starting wide receiver level. And if not, give me Jerron Glover, Christian Fitzpatrick, um, Antonio Gates, one of those guys to challenge them enough to take it over by the middle of the season if they're not performing well enough. The opportunity is there for all of them. I mean, last year, 70% of the receptions from receivers and tight ends mm-hmm. are gone. Are mm-hmm. gone. All right. Like Daniel Barker's not there. Jaden Reed, uh, Keon mm-hmm. Coleman, Kay McDonald, mm-hmm. his three catches last year, mm-hmm. they're gone. Keon's uh, bid in East Lansing is done. Uh, big, big time. Yeah. No, he, he posted bail and he got the hell out of here. So good for him to flee the, the absolutely disgusting conditions here and whatever um yeah so there's gonna be opportunity we all know this it's it's gonna be fascinating just to see who grabs it though or yeah you know it's gonna you know it's gonna rip a big chunk of that 70 percent of missed catches from last year i mean i know i'm jumping position groups here but malik the freak yes which so he got to speak to the media not too long ago actually yes. and chris solari of the free press tweeted out that malik Carr said he's growing he's actually six foot seven mm. and i had to double check like if that was like a parody account or if there was like some like other twitter meme going around like oh <laughs> another one of those weird jokes that i don't get but no like i guess he's actually six foot seven and he's got the basketball background obviously and so that's that's just another pass catching option that you have out there for whoever the new quarterback is man i don't know it's yeah. it's, it's it's a puzzle i just cannot wait to find out three, four weeks into the season. Yeah. It'll take a while to really get the clear picture, but yeah. 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 I, I think, uh, yeah. Like let's just dive into tight end here because there's not really much more to add to wide receivers. Just love all the options there. Two of those guys are going to have to step up and be a trays level. I think two guys will, we'll see who they are. Yeah. Um, at tight end, Malik Carr, undoubtedly tight end one. Um, I thought he always had the talent, but he never embraced that. He was actually a tight end. I heard that in his first year of switching to tight end, which I think was two years ago now, mm-hmm. he would actually outwardly say, no, I'm a wide receiver that's playing tight end. Um, okay. That he, he literally did not embrace the position. <laughs> to, to then last year, embracing it a bit, but not actually getting there enough with blocking. To now, allegedly, based on the quotes, he's fully embraced it. He's gotten better as a blocker. I think if that is actually true, um, that would be absolutely massive for Michigan State. Not only would that allow him to be on the field in any and every sort of situation, run or pass, that would also um, increase his, his target share, and um, it would make him a mismatch nightmare. And um, beyond him, well, I guess we'll see if that is true, but beyond him, then you can have a variety of tight end twos. Uh, you can look at Tyneel Hopper. Um, I heard he's a very good run blocker, but he's also very cons- inconsistent. Okay. Um, so he's not kind of just someone you just comfortably put in there as tight end two and say, oh, there's a great run blocker. But I think he should be he should be able to hold his own for the most part. Um, you have Jack Nickel, who was already a yeah. very good run blocker coming out of high school, trying to expand his receiving game. You have Jalen Franklin, uh, the Wisconsin tight end slash defensive end they added to the portal. Um, you have Brendan Parachek. I don't know if he's going to be there as a blocker this year, but I think as a receiver, he might be close, probably a retro candidate. But again, numbers there. Somebody needs to step up. They have the opportunity to step up. We will find out who steps up. Any any other thoughts there at tight end, Matt? 
No, I just need Malik Carr to say that he's a right tackle that just happens to catch balls. <laughs> like, like start saying, no, I'm a receiver, that's a tight end, and then just, like, work your way up to just fully embracing the, yep. the, the blocking thing. But, no, it, I, I'm, I'm excited for Brendan Parashek, Michael Masunas, Jack Nickel. I just think mm, that this is Michael a bridge year. And that's why they brought in guys like Ty Neal Hopper, Jalen Franklin, Adam mm. Olafolet, and the, the 98 oh, tight yeah. end transfer. Yes. All these old guys, I think it's just like a bridge year because all the, you know, aforementioned guys like the Sunis, mm-hmm. Nickel, like they're redshirt freshmen or just true freshmen. So it'll, I think, yeah. one more year until like we really start to see those guys blossom. Right. Yeah, yeah for sure. But uh, I guess, yeah, that any any overarching thoughts on the offense here, Matt, before we wrap it up? It's a mystery, but I'm excited, man. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there, There's a present under that tree. I'm excited to open it. Now, what on earth is going to be? I don't know, but yeah, it, it, so many storylines. I, I can't remember a season where there's just been this much mystique in the air around the offense. I mean, you got your quarterback battle. That happens ever so often, but very rarely do you have, oh my God, seven guys competing for three receiver roles. Then the tight ends, it's I'm excited though, man. But like you saw yeah. the work they put in the off season to write all the runs that they could possibly do a lot of it in the running game, which we already mentioned. So mm-hmm. I think there's a reason to be optimistic for the, off- for, sure. for the offense. Yeah. yeah. That, that pretty much says it. Well, I think um, last year, I think uh, Jay Johnson got a little too much blame, but at the same time, I think the offense was a little too healthy to play so, as poorly as they did. Big year for him. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Big year for him. Um, you have a new quarterback now. You have two quarterbacks now. Um, first, you, you have to make the right choice of who the starter is. And second, you have to hope that that quarterback can play better than last year, which the bar is not high. And um, if both of those things happen, you are looking at them making a bowl game. If they do not make a bowl game, then um, I don't think that's good enough. So we will see what happens. Um, should have said this at the beginning of the show, but since we are on new YouTube and Apple podcast feeds, make sure you subscribe, make sure you give us a thumbs up. We're definitely going to need your help here early on with the algorithm. Um, Spotify, it's still the same feed. Uh, so just make sure you're subscribed. And if you haven't written a review already, please go ahead and do so. Unless it's a bad one, then just tweet your, your negative feedback at Matt. Yeah. Um, I, I can take it. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, so seriously, we, we need you to subscribe on YouTube. We need you to subscribe on Apple. We need you to give those thumbs ups and those likes. Um, we're definitely trying to build up this this independent um, sort of infrastructure we have here. Um, had a very good opportunity um, while we were on hiatus to partner with sort of a big time production company. We wanted it to be more of a catered to the audience sort of a feel, not having a hundred ad reads inserted in here and there and, and meeting corporate sort of um, requirements. So uh, in return though, we're just asking for you guys to, to support as you always do. And um, hopefully you enjoyed this offensive preview and uh, stay tuned for the defensive preview here shortly. So with that, I'm Justin Thin. That's my co-host Matt Sheehan. And we appreciate you listening to this week's episode of the SD4L show.